And we're live with JavaScript Air. Hello, everyone. I just almost had a heart attack. We um, It said failed to go live. And I was like, that's never happened before. OK, we are live. And this is a good thing. So uh, this is JavaScript Air, your favorite uh, broadcast podcast all about JavaScript and the web platform. And today is episode 041. Um, and it's called Test All the Things with Cypress. So um, we've got a couple subject matter experts on the subject um, here with us today. We're excited to chat with them. Before we get into our conversation, though, I want to give shout outs to our favorite sponsors, um, which are all of our sponsors, because they're all great. So Egghead.io is the show's premier sponsor and has a huge library of bite-sized web development training videos. Check them out for content on JavaScript, Angular, React, Node, and more. Egghead.io is also the host of two free Redux courses from Dan Abramoff. Uh, find them at egghead.io slash Redux. And then Frontend Masters is a recorded expert-led workshop with courses on um, advanced JavaScript, asynchronous, and functional JS, as well as lots of other great courses on front-end topics. Find them at frontendmasters.com. And TrackJS reports bugs in your JavaScript before customers notice them. And with their telemetry timeline, you'll have the context to actually fix them. Check them out and start tracking JavaScript errors today at trackjs.com. And WebStorm is a powerful JavaScript IDE. Working with Angular, React, or Node.js, then you don't want to miss its super intelligent coding assistance. Use the discount code JavaScriptAir to check out, uh, at checkout at jetbrains.com WebStorm to get 20% off of your WebStorm personal subscription. And finally, Trading Technologies is looking for passionate and inventive full-stack JavaScript developers who want to work on cutting-edge solutions in a collaborative and challenging environment. Go help them build the top choice for derivative traders. All right, sweet. So uh, today, we don't have any panelists. Uh, sad day, but we do have two guests. Um, so let me introduce them to you. Uh, they are Brian Mann. Hello. And Gleb Bombatov. Hello, everyone. And uh, Gleb was actually on my show at least once, maybe twice, on Angular Air. And I think he's been on since I, I left, too. So Gleb is pretty used to uh, the camera uh, broadcast podcast format here. Um, but uh, let's get an intro to our guest here. We'll start out with Brian. Can you give us a quick intro to yourself? Sure. Um, I'm the creator and founder of uh, Cypress.io. I've been programming with JavaScript now for uh, probably like eight or nine years. I've built a lot of different products. So really passionate about testing, obviously, uh, and just here to basically help the community and uh, I'm trying to build a great product. Thank you for your work. That's awesome. Gleb. Uh, I'm Gleb Bakhmudov. I've been doing JavaScript at Kansho, which is financial analysis startup in Boston and New York. And personally, and as a Kansho, we've been very happy Cypress user and paying user for the last maybe three or four months. And I think this completely changed the way we test our software and improved the quality tremendously. Awesome. I want to hear all about how that has improved your software tremendously. Um, cool. So let's uh, just to kind of kick things off for us, um, it's always good to get kind of a foundational understanding of uh, what the topic that we're talking about even is. Um, many people probably have never heard of Cypress before at all. And so let's go ahead and get that. I, I'm sure, Brian, you've over the last couple of years, you've probably honed your 30 second elevator pitch on Cypress. Uh, you can give us a little bit more than 30 seconds if you want. Um, but what is Cypress? Sure. Um, I mean, Cypress is a 
uh, testing tool that is aimed, I would say, at developers or QA engineers, and really just helps them write automated tests for anything that they're putting on the web, whether it's a web application uh, or even just a website. And um, I would just say that really the biggest difference is, is that the architecture of the way that Cypress uh, is designed is really fundamentally different than the way that Selenium or WebDriver works. It doesn't actually use Selenium or WebDriver under the hood. And it's built with modern developers building modern applications in mind. So um, the best you know, use case of it is you're using Angular, you're using React, you're using Backbone, you're building something that has a rich amount of interactions. Um, that's that's sort of its position, and that's who it's it's marketed to. Um, it's built on top of sort of all the best-in-class accepted JavaScript tooling, which is uh, Chai, uh, Mocha, and Sign-On. Um, and it's basically a comprehensive tool that helps with the setup of testing, uh, the actual test writing, and then finally, when you go to run your test in CI, it helps uh, diagnose and pinpoint failures uh, at that point. Cool. Awesome. So um, I've been sort of casually reading this book called Start With Why. Uh, you might be familiar with that. Um, but I've actually been trying and failing sometimes at starting kind of with the why. And I think that uh, we could get even more deep on uh, what's uh, or like um, convincing people why Cypress is so great. Um, if, if we could talk a little bit about why Cypress even exists, like Selenium seems OK, right? And like. Um, or do I even need end-to-end -end tests? So could you talk about the why behind Cypress? Like, why did you even build it? Sure. Um, I mean, going all the way back, why I built it, it sort of originated uh, out of my own frustrations of using tooling, of running a developer team, bringing new developers sort of into the testing ecosystem and watching them struggle. Um, I mean, I would say that, you know, unit testing is pretty much figured out, you know, the approach to doing it is really the same in all languages. There are great tools uh, across all different languages that help you do that. I mean, obviously, still, there's still lots of innovation going on, even in the JavaScript space related to this. Um, but it's really what, what we're focusing on right now is like the end-to-end -end integration uh, uh, stage. And, you know, Selenium uh, has been around since 2004. And I mean, it has had tremendous amounts of development and tremendous amounts of innovation. Uh, really, you know, WebDriver was sort of the biggest thing that's ever happened. But ultimately, you know, where it falls short is that WebDriver is a stateless um, HTTP API that is attempting to test a stateful system, which is a web application, right? And architecturally, it is just fundamentally impossible for it to really understand all the things that are happening inside of an application. And therefore, it can only make really the best guesses. It's kind of like, um, imagine you know, you're basically just firing remote commands. Like you're outside the box, and what's inside the box is black, and you don't know what's happening. And all you're able to do is fire sort of commands over the wall into the box and query just this one instant you know, snapshot of the state. And that doesn't, that's not necessarily representative of how the web application is actually performing or sort of where it's at. Um, you could catch something like one millisecond before it happens or one millisecond too late. And Cypress is basically designed in, with the exact, ex, with the exact opposite um, architecture, which is that Cypress is actually inside the app. You're testing your app through Cypress, and therefore it is able to understand everything that is happening 
It is in the same run loop. It can react immediately to events and modify its behavior dynamically uh, based on a set of rules to understand exactly what you're wanting to do. So we can you know, immediately pause commands when we detect that page is loading. Um, you have native access to every single object so you can tap into the window. You can tap into your own application code and control it to stub it, to, to basically change the way that the application performs in real time. And because of that, you're able to make, you're able to write much more resilient uh, tests that aren't flaky or brittle. Um, and, uh, and that ultimately leads, leads to a much better experience. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm, I'm convinced. <laughs> so, um, like, can can we get into some of the nitty gritty details of um, like how I would use Cypress? Uh, like, is it like does it work with other testing frameworks that I'm familiar with? Um, what what's the syntax like, or or what's the API like uh, in actually using uh, Cypress? Sure. So I I think I'll you know it's Cypress is kind of a difficult tool to sort of describe. So I'll just kind of like walk you through a day in the life of like how you would get it and what that experience is. So, um, and, and also kind of highlight some of the design decisions around uh, what we wanted. Um, so obviously, some, one of the biggest differences between um, WebDriver and uh, Cypress is that you only write your tests in JavaScript. That's the only thing that we support. It's the only thing that we will ever support. And you know, that's something that's only happened in the last few years where it would be like acceptable to a team that they only write it in JavaScript. So let's kind of get that out of the way. So we know like our target market is you know, JavaScript developers. Um, uh, but then the next thing was is that we didn't want to necessarily like pin ourselves directly into the NPM ecosystem. Like you can, you, obviously we support it, you can NPM install Cypress, but we wanted it to be like a zero dependency environment. So actually the way that we distribute Cypress is as a desktop application where we pack up every single dependency that it has, right? And we actually use um, Electron to do that. So the first part of Cypress is just downloading the app and it runs like as a legitimate first-class desktop application that you go out and that you install. Um, because of that, there's basically no chance that anything can go wrong. We build it for every different operating system, and that's where you start. Um, and then really the next step is, is that there's an entire GUI that sort of walks you through getting your project initially set up. So you go in, you drop in your project directory. We automatically scaffold out sort of the suggested structure for it. We, we scaffold out like uh, a specific spec file for you. And then you, you really just use a GUI to launch the browser and the, to start testing. Um, but then what that does is that brings up a real browser and that's where all your work is performed. I mean, we didn't want to create like some like desktop application where you're like trying to test the web, but you're really not in the web. No, you work in the web the entire time. And so you have native access to all of your dev tools and everything else that you're comfortable with that. Um, from there, you we have a DSL that's about um, 80 different commands that basically simulate all the things that you'd want to do in a browser. So you can get elements, you can interact with them and click them. Um, you can do things like uh, stubbing actual XHRs to force their return value. So you can you can simulate you know network delays. You can actually uh, test without having a backend at all. Uh, that's actually what we do at Cypress. We dog food it on our own projects. And before we even have like an API server, we basically build out the entire front end um, and stub out every single route, uh, every single XHR. So we force it to have the data that we want and we can essentially build out to all the edge cases and situations. Um, 
and while you're working inside of this, you basically are inside of you're inside of Cyprus, and you have a GUI that uh, basically breaks down and shows you every single command that you run. So typically in a test, you know, it might be 20 or 30 or 40 different commands in order to test the situation. You'll get go get this element and interact with it and fill out this form and click this. And so we indicate to you the progress of every single command as it's happening in real time. So that when there is a failure, you know that it failed on command 11 and it wasn't a different problem. And uh, because you're in the browser the whole time, I mean, it's like lightning fast reloads. You make a code change and you know it's sub-second refreshed and, it, and it's driven the browser really as fast as your application can go. Um, so that kind of makes sense of sort of what the experience is, what, what it looks like to work in Cypress. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just had a question that um, came up as you were talking. Uh, what about code coverage? Are, are you able to uh, record and report code coverage? Yeah, um, that is definitely challenging because um, you don't really write unit tests. You can write unit tests in Cypress, and that's something that we're going to be doing better down the roadmap, but it's mostly for integration end-to-end -end testing. And to do coverage through that, um, Cypress doesn't know anything about your application, you know, like you can just use Cypress today to go test google.com, right? And to do code coverage when it comes down to integration end-to-end -end testing, you have to instrument um, the JavaScript files sort of on the application's end. And that's just that's just way, it's fundamentally harder than doing it with unit where you're not requiring the files inline, right? Like the JavaScript files are being served by a web server way later. You know, not and Cypress isn't really conscientious of those. It doesn't know anything. Your application really just does the same thing it does when you fire up the browser, right? So that is not something that we have solved, and it might not even really be solvable in a, like a generic way. You might have to like, you know, specify exactly what you want or something like that. So yeah, oh, I I I could see that being solvable. Glove, you you got an idea. I, I, I got an idea. Uh, so Cypress allows you to specify the base URL, kind of like what's uh -huh. the URL to load, and you can easily change it through config file or environment variable or even command line as you start Cypress. And if you really want code coverage for end-to-end -end tests, I have a project called Was Tested, which is a code coverage proxy that can run you know between Google.com and mm -hmm. your machine, and so you can actually run Google Test by pointing Cypress not at google.com, but at was tested proxy, which will cover all the code from google.com that it receives. And so you'll get a code coverage, but it's not Cypress job. It will be like external thing. Sure. I mean, it would be possible. So Cypress does crazy amounts of proxying where it forces every request to go through process and uh, go through the proxy. And therefore, it can modify and change the world however it wants. It would be possible that as JavaScript files are being served, that we would, you know, basically go through and use a Sprema or whatever else in order to break it all out. But the problem is, is that what is being served is not necessarily it, it's not your source, and so you would get code coverage like in the final build, right? Like after you've gone through Webpack or Browserify, and it wouldn't necessarily point. Might be maybe like if you gave us source maps and we instrumented those, we could point it back. But I don't know. It, it's it's an interesting problem to solve. Uh, 
and I'm just, you know, it's like one more thing on our radar and it's just not a priority at the moment. But uh, gotcha. I would love, I would love to have some ideas and talk through maybe how it's possible to do. Yeah, honestly, like with the way that I see Cypress uh, positioning itself, it's not as much of a unit testing tool where code coverage actually matters. It's uh, more, more of a like end-to-end -end or integration. And, and at that point, code coverage starts to matter less. And what you're more concerned about is like uh, use case coverage um, where you know you're testing certain flows, and you want to make sure that you have those things covered uh, pretty well. Um, but uh, I want to ask you, Gleb, uh, about your experience adopting it. I imagine that, like, in the process, you you were probably replacing something else, or or maybe you had to convince people to uh, to look into Cypress and stuff. Can you um, walk us through like the process of adopting it and and how that experience has gone for you? Sure. So we've been around for three years, and we've been doing end-to-end -end testing pretty much from the beginning, in addition to unit tests. So we started with PhantomGS, you know, 1.0. And no, we wrote end-to-end -end tests, okay, fine. And then Casper uh, appeared. So we actually switched from Phantom to using Casper for better API. Um, then we decided, okay, we need multi-browser testing or cross-browser testing, so we actually have protractor tests. So we've been progressing with technology every year for something new. And yet when I saw Cypress video, you know, maybe five months ago, I was just hooked. I can see my tests running. I can write tests with using very sane API compared to, you know, Casper or anything else. And the best thing is that the value of end-to-end -end test is not what it actually passes, right? The most value I get as a developer is when it fails, right? So when a Cypress test fails, I can see the screenshot, I can see, you know, the steps that it took and when it, where it failed. And if I'm running in a browser, I can actually see the element. I, I can inspect everything when it failed in DevTools. I can see, I can point at each step in my test and, and see the snapshot of a DOM when that step happened. So as a developer, if, if a crash happens in Cypress, I can debug it very, very quickly and easily. Everything else before that, Phantom, Casper, when the crash happens, you pretty much have no idea what really happened. What caused, you know, the, the why of the test failing would be not, oh, I have a stack. It would be what happened before that? How did my page look? And I had no idea. So. You know, as technology progressed and we reached Cypress, we we're like, okay, now end-to-end -end tests are actually useful, and they give us so much information as a developers. Um, so I tried on a couple of uh, personal projects, and you know, Cypress was in the private beta; you just signed up. And when I started showing it at work, and said, like, okay, we should not be writing um, protractor tests; we should just switch to Cypress. And there was a lot of convincing, you know, to do because you know, well, for different business reasons. But the developers were sold after one hour demo. Pretty much as soon as I showed them, here's how you test it, here's how you write a test, here's how you watch the test happen, and you can look at step by step, the developers are sold immediately. But business people probably required some convincing to do. Yeah, what, what do you say to business people? I mean, like, and we, we kind of put business people over here and like as if we're uh, fighting with them to get the things that we want. But I, I think any reasonable developer also cares about the business 
Um, and so like, you know, the, I, I was at a company and I wanted to rewrite from Angular 1, um, but it didn't make business sense. So I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to recommend that we rewrite, even though I want to. Um, I'm not going to recommend that because I know that like that would really hinder our uh, progress as a business. So I, I don't think that like it's great to frame things as like, how do you, um, you know, um, coerce the business in doing doing something. Um, but like, how did you convince yourself that this was uh, worth it from a business perspective? And then how did you share um, that um, convincing with uh, the people actually making the decision? So I will start with uh, kind of one concern that we answered, and then I will kind of punt and throw it over to Brian after that. Uh, so for the biggest concern for us was sunken cost. We already know how to write protracted tests, right? We already have a bunch of them. So why should we care about new tool, right? Care about writing the test in a new manner and then support both types of tests, right? So that was a big uh, primary objection. And the second objection that was um, we had to overcome was controlling the source code and controlling the CI itself and you know the test uh, boxes. So by default, if you sign up for Cypress, you, you can use their own cloud to run the tests. And it's really easy to, to, to do. But in our case, because we are we're trying to really keep the source code private, we run our own CIs, our own boxes, we, the business side and the management side felt very strongly that kind of surrendering and running our end-to-end -end tests on Cypress CI cloud. Uh, was too much, right? Um, and so we had to look for ways to actually run the, the Cypress test ourselves. Uh, so we built Docker images with Cypress baked in and all the dependencies so we could run it easily ourselves and, and control everything. Um, but, but that's something we had to do. Other people probably don't have that concern for especially for public facing sites, but maybe Brian can tell us more about the CI cloud that uh, Cypress has. Yeah, so uh, I mean, um, let me, and I guess let me just kind of clarify on a few points. So, you know, when we talk about Cypress, we're mostly talking about the desktop application, right? And the desktop application is what developers use, it's what you go out and install. And, um, you know, that solves the first two legs, right? Makes getting tests set up really simple, and then like the actual developer experience day to day is really straightforward, right? And of course, all of that, you know, you install, none of that is connected to us in, in any single way. And all of that is absolutely going to be open source. But then the third part, the, the CI piece, is really where um, to do that well, you sort of have to add, you have to add value to that part, and you have to pull out those assets, and you have to you know, make those accessible to all the users. And that's sort of like where our where our platform comes in. And just to kind of ex explain, so this is a project I've been working on for over two and a half years full time now. I, I worked the first, you know, nearly 18 months just completely proving this out uh, completely on my own. And then when I got to a certain point, I realized this is way too complicated of a product. I'm going to absolutely have to have other full time developers work on this. And you know, we went through you know, a lot of discussions. We ended up raising uh, capital with uh, three VC companies. So we're, we're actually founded in Atlanta. We're a team of five. We're obviously hiring. Uh, we're gonna be raising a Series A in the next few months, that sort of thing, and, and growing from there. And so obviously, like a part of Cypress is, is the business component. 
And that, that has evolved a lot. Like we have gone through many different revisions, many different ideas of like how to, how to really do this. But I, uh, and so we talked a lot about like spinning up our own servers in the cloud. And in fact, we spent months building that out. We got that working. And I, I guess I'll just sort of explain that we're probably actually not going to do that anymore. And the story for CI and the story for Cypress is actually going to be a lot simpler. And this has obviously evolved a lot from working with early adopters to hearing their objections to trying to sort of like make all these things work. And so I can sort of explain that what, what we're doing now is definitely not what we're going to do in the future. And really there's there's like two major steps to this product. The first is that, you know, we need to open source the entire desktop application, right? And that's actually really close. We, we've actually already open sourced like seven or eight repos. There's close to 20 repos. We're actually converting that back to like a mono repo. We like split everything out into like a million NPM packages and it's actually super difficult to manage. So we're gonna push that all back into one repo, sort of like how Babel does it, right? To the packages and sort of everything listed out and all that's gonna be open source. So what we mean by that is that you'll be able to use Cypress in your own you know, weird way, however you want, you can fork it, you can do whatever, and then you can have an amazing local experience where you go to run your tests, right? And you will be able to run that product in CI as well, uh, as long as you, you know, basically manage that process yourself. And we'll still like deliver the final assets like after a build to help you with that. But our cloud platform, like where we're going to come in and where I see us working for the vast majority of the people is that when tests go to run in CI, there's really three things that you care about. There's screenshots of the actual failures. There is a video of the entire run. And then there is like a massive amount of logs. And based on the way that we've designed Cypress and the position that it's in, it's capable of understanding everything that happened inside of the browser. And so we're capturing all three of those things. And we're going to, as part of the platform, automatically upload those to ourselves and then make those results immediately available back into the desktop application. So within the desktop application, you already have this nice GUI. You have the ability to launch browsers. You have the ability to set up projects and see where everything is at. And then you're, you're going to have the last leg of it really at, at, at your fingertips where, you'll, where you will see what happened in the CI run. Um, past that, there's all kinds of cool things that we can do with the platform, like giving you real-time access to your CI build, like by basically shipping and embedding uh, VNC and then automatically handling the tunneling to enable you to uh, remotely connect to it, to watch the build as it's happening, or potentially even put Cypress in a mode where you don't just watch what's happening, but you basically prevent Cypress from exiting CI. So it's in the real environment, it's running your tests, but then you want to come back and modify source code locally will automatically like synchronize that with the CI server so you can essentially iterate on the failure directly. So that those are sort of some of the things that we're going to do in the platform. We'll likely add in screenshot diffing uh, later uh, and then give you like an interface and understanding that stuff. But um, I don't know, you know, that, that that's sort of where we're going. And we're actually at this point likely not going to be spinning up instances anymore. Um, the plan of what we what we originally uh, were thinking for our platform is that um, that basically we have to control the environment that the browser runs in. There's all kinds of situations like browsers are amazingly complex things, and all the way down to like GPU drivers uh, can affect and can cause crashes. So we were like, well, we really need this like pristine cloud environment where we control the resources given to the browser. So that means that when it goes to run in CI, 
like we have to like automatically handle the tunneling. And of course that's like where we can record the video and, and all that stuff. Um, and uh, it, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think we don't need to do that and we can better align ourselves to sort of uh, the, the, what the community expects in the open source. Like we're really, we're really worried like, well, if we do this, you know, are we also going to be designing features inside of Cypress that potentially like push out our own platform or like reduce it, its, um, its value? And, you know, I, for our team, like I don't want to be in conflict. I don't want to have these questions where we're like refusing to build out features that people need in the open source product just because we want our platform to be used to be to be more useful. You know, I, I want I want these things to be to make sense. Um, uh, to be used everywhere, right? And like, you know, like you've built out all these Docker images, you've handled automatic parallelization at the operating system level. Like all we need to do is basically just expose you an API on our backend that we understand that you've parallelized the build so that when we show you the results, we can associate all these things together. And so, um, and give you like an interface to, to inspect the results. Um, so I don't know. That's that's some of our ideas. Uh, running in CI is is a fairly complex thing, and we can talk a little bit about the way that it works now, and uh, we could also talk about like in the future, like how we're going to support multiple browsers and things like that. Oh, you said a lot of stuff there that I'm yeah. just like trying to make sure I don't I don't miss. So one thing that you you said there that I had a question about was uh, um, the like automatically uploading assets um, to your server and then having that available in the desktop client. So I'm trying to picture my workflow here because this happened, like here's my current workflow. Um, I uh, make a pull request. The build starts after, you know, because we're using Jenkins and everybody's favorite tool. Build start, starts after a couple of minutes, takes forever to do it, do stuff, and then eventually it breaks. I have no idea what's wrong. Um, we have this plugin where I just type in build me as a comment and it'll restart the build and something magically ha happens and works. If I want to look at the uh, the build, then I, I go to the enormous amount of logs and, to try and figure out what part of it broke. And most of the time I can't. And so I just say build me again and somehow it magically works and I just don't understand it. It's a real pain. Um, so what, what would my workflow look like in um, like a pull request scenario with Cypress? Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm like, love to talk about this because I think this is this is the thing that we're nailing the, the best, right? And kind of let me like take a step back, right? So it's sort of like testing is hard as is, just like the concept of testing. And then actually writing tests is extremely difficult as well. But we don't ever think about what you just described, which is that after you've sort of made the investment and you've built up the suite of tests that's only ever growing, when failures happen, that is oftentimes the hardest part, right? And we can't figure out why something fails. We can't easily see insight into it. And then we, you know, we lose, um, we lose faith and we lose, uh, uh, we feel like we don't have control over what's going on. And then we basically stop testing altogether, right? Okay, so now to answer- Yeah, that's question, exactly what Bob was talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah, okay, so how this is gonna work, right? I mean, it's, it's, so, it's, it's so simple, but basically where you run in CI doesn't matter to us. And in fact, we, we call it CI, but you could do all this from your own computer because there's really no difference. But the idea here is just that you have like your CI scripts and as part of your CI script, you have a couple of little commands that basically cause Cypress to run. Right now, you have to do um, npm install Cypress CLI and then you have to do Cypress install and then you have to say Cypress CI, right? So three commands, 
we're actually going to be reducing that down to one command. But nevertheless, that, that's really it. You have to write three lines of code in order to have Cypress run. And Cypress is installed on the code base. And we don't ever, we don't, and when, like when Gleb was saying source, we have nothing to do with your source. Ne source will never be transferred. It will always stay on your system. Even when we were like doing the platform, all that was was that was a browser in the cloud connecting. And a browser obviously doesn't have access to source control. It only has access to, you know, the stuff that, you know, the files that it goes out and downloads over HTTP. But at, at any rate, so you, your, your CI run has spun up. It has called out. It has installed Cypress. Cypress, and of course, your source control has the Cypress test. So now the app is installed. Cypress begins to run, right? So Cypress is running. And as part of the desktop app, it's basically handling the, the three things that I mentioned. It's basically building up a huge amount of logs. It's building up screenshots of failures. And it's building, building up the video. Well, after the end of the run, right, like before we exit with the number of failures, all it will do at that point is basically take those three things and it will upload it into us. And when they, when you upload it into us, we can then basically parse through all the logs, parse through all the screenshots, parse through all the, the, the entire video and basically hide everything that was passing and only focus on the failures. So that's like the raw data is now on our end. So what we can do is that, yes, your, your flow stays exactly the same. You would see like up oh, exit code was three, three failures, right? But instead of scrolling through text and standard out, which doesn't help, it's just like a hill of beans. Like what happened in a GUI browser? You cannot, you cannot compress that down into text. It's impossible, right? The, the thing is, is you need access into sort of the raw material that is going to indicate to you what failed. And I mean, yes, if you build in like, hey, okay, as part of my CI stuff, I don't want to send these assets to Cypress and I just want to house them myself. You can do that. You can just manage those in whatever way. But trust me, like the logs, the logs are like megabytes of, of traffic. So you're going to send that out to us. And then we're going to give you basically just a GUI um, that where the results are immediately available inside of the desktop app. Or you would just go to like admin.cypress.io. You go to you go to the same thing that you have like with Travis or with Circle, right? Uh, 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 a web app that gives you all the results. And then you have like a UI that only shows the failures, and then you can associate not just the screenshot and the video, but also all the logs that happened as the test was running. So you could see, like, I mean, you could see visually what happened, right? But you also, you didn't have dev tools open. Like, there's still so much more knowledge there that you might be missing. And so by using this, you'll be able to see, like, okay, this command started. Oh, and then I saw network traffic. And then, you know, I saw, you know, something that I console logged that we serialized. And then I saw, like, this command failed here. Well, I, I can see, like, everything associated before that, that ran. And I have, a, like, a pretty clear idea of what failed. Um, so that's sort of the extension beyond just your normal flow. All these are, like, additions. And really, like, the part two of that is that to really solve this problem, you know, you're like, okay, I see that there's a failure. Maybe something didn't appear. And I look at the logs, and I have a pretty good idea. But you still need to then iterate on that problem directly because maybe you fire up Cypress in your in your local environment and it works straight away, right? Because you know CI environments are different than local environments. You know there could you could have written your test in a in in like a flaky way, which we can talk about. You can still definitely do that in Cypress. Um, so the last leg here is that you need to iterate on the problem. So then what I would do is I would then run the build again, except this time pass like an environment variable that just tells Cypress like, hey, don't 
don't like start running until you receive a remote connection. So it basically everything starts up. Cypress is about to run, but it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm halting here until I receive a remote connection. Then from the desktop client, we know that a run is happening. We give you like a button that allows you to remotely connect that will automatically handle the tunneling. And so there's no like firewall or anything like that. You would get into your build and then you would just watch it and iterate on that failure directly where it happened. So that's, that's, this is, this is, this is like the more, this is like the comprehensive solution Um, for people that don't want us to upload assets. Like, like you don't want us to have like the raw logs and stuff like that. You don't, you don't have to use that part of the platform. Um, Likely what we'll do in the future is we'll build something like an on-premise version of Cypress where you can like install it in your AWS cloud and it's really the same thing. That's likely where we're, what we're, what we'll do in the future. But really it's just, when I say like we're better aligned with the community, the story behind like using Cypress is going to be, is going to be very explainable. Like if you don't want to, you know, pay for this stuff, you won't get this value, but you can just opt out of it and then you can just manage them in your own way and you won't get like these extra things, but like it makes sense. Right. And there's never any, there's no chance that like your investment in Cypress tests, like there's no chance like that's ever going to stop working. Like there's not going to be a paywall between you and your source code. There's really just going to be a paywall between you and like the additional valuable things that we think you will need to really solve Cypress. I mean, we, we see people struggling with this all the time. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's going to be a choice that you have. Cool. Awesome. That, that sounds like an amazing workflow. Uh, Gleb, can you talk about what your workflow has been, uh, with Cypress, uh, since you started like four months ago? Uh, absolutely. So, um, one thing that I like about Cypress right away, but when you add a new project, uh, to Cypress, it immediately adds all the configuration and example spec file for you. So if you start from nothing, it gives you things to run right away. And then um, you can look at the examples pack, and it includes like pretty much uh, the kitchen sink of everything Cypress can do for you. Um, so we started by just taking that file and removing pretty much everything but what made sense for our website. And that was the start. And you can literally do this in maybe five, 10 minutes if you start from nothing. Um, so we just started by loading our page, kind of clicking around, verifying that it, it breaks. I mean, it doesn't break. Um, once we solved the CI problem, we decided, okay, we, we like what we see, but we have so many web apps. Uh, it makes sense for us to actually run a bunch of tests in parallel for different apps. And um, the interesting design decision, and I agree with it, in Cypress was that the Cypress doesn't actually bundle your, your spec files, like your spec source code, because there are so many choices. Do you like Webpack or do you like Brazerify or anything else? Uh, so by default, Cypress just loads your spec file and that assumes that it has everything. So it, assume, it doesn't assume that you have require or AMD or you can load anything else. So you have to pack it yourself. So we had to write this little piece that uh, we called multi Cypress, but can take multiple spec files and generate multiple bundles. So you have complete bundles that you can run separately and that test different web apps for us. So it's open source. We released it under Kentra GitHub account. Um, so now we can use ES6. Uh, we run a rollup. We reuse different testing utilities. For example, you can say, 
you know, run analysis. And it, it, it's now just a single function call and, and it does things and we can raise it from multiple projects. We also wrote a lot of utilities that are custom Cypress commands. So Cypress allows you to define a command and it becomes just like almost a part of its API, just like you know, any command in its DSL. So for example, we can say cypress.login and it will do all the custom steps for our website and login. We can do, you know, click something on a weird widget that's not really supported natively by Cypress and it, and it works. So we have a bunch of projects. They all have multiple specs because specs are separate. We can run them in parallel. We, uh, we use a GitLab CI to run everything in parallel. Uh, the biggest challenge for me right now is not, not writing the tests, but making sure that everyone in a company that's touching something can just go and update the end-to-end -end tests, right? So that they know if something breaks. So if something changes, everyone can update the test. And uh, so far, it has been very successful. People who are not front engineers, they go and update end-to-end -end specs and see no problems you know, running them again or running them locally or committing them and making sure the CI passes. Um, so nothing but positive things to say. Uh, the experience as a developer and, you know, as a, a person who cares about quality has been nothing but positive. That's great. So wh where do you draw the line for the types of tests that you write with Cypress? And then kind of maybe that sort of goes along with it. Um, where do you put your test files uh, in your files? Uh, so we keep unit tests, and for unit tests, we use Mocha and Ava right next to the source code. But we suggest unit tests, they run, you know, node environment. Uh, Cypress end-to-end -end tests uh, live in separate repos. Um, just because we have one giant repo, really, and we don't want to pollute it with end-to-end -end tests, and we want to keep it separately um, from our source code, I think it makes sense. Um, so it's all separate repos. Um, we have separate repos for end-to-end -end utilities for Cypress, which can be reused from other things. And we use internal NPM registry to, to import utilities as well. Uh, but we found that to be optimal choice. Interesting. So um, when you um, like are, are running a build on like your, your project file, then do you install the, um, the Cypress test to have them run on CI? Is that kind of the work? Uh, so the end-to-end -end tests happen after deployment, right? So when our Jenkins build everything, it runs unit tests, it runs uh, Mocha, Ava, and also we have a bunch of Angular, so, which is tested using Karma. Once everything passes, it deploys things, right, to a server, and then it triggers a GitLab CI job and says, okay, end-to-end -end tests run on this. And so a bunch of tests jobs will be run in parallel, testing the new deployment. Um, and I think it's a good strategy, right? You want to deploy something and then run end-to-end -end tests and kind of separate uh, the two steps. And um, we're kind of taking it now further. Well, like I'm working on a tool that can test any deployment that's done using, uh, if you have heard of a tool from Zite called Now, right? Kind of instantaneous immutable deployment. So we have Now pipeline that can install uh, using Zite Now you get a new URL when we run Cypress end-to-end -end tests. And if everything passes, we switch the DNS alias. 
so Cypress became kind of our go-to thing that we run separately after we deploy. Okay, um, that's interesting. The way that I envisioned it was uh, you would run like your unit tests, and then you would fire like build your your app, and then fire up a local server uh, of that local app, test it with Cypress, and then uh, do the deploy. Uh, so do you do do you deploy to production before you run your Cypress test, or or do you have like different uh, environments that you deploy to? So I, I completely agree with you. For smaller projects that are kind of standalone and self-contained, as part of a build, we do fire up local server, we do run uh, Cypress tests. But for our large project that requires huge stack of services, we actually deploy somewhere and we deploy to different stacks. Uh, before we deploy to production. So we actually go through several stages and we test in each one using Cypress before we actually deploy it to production or point production at a good stack. Uh, so it's all about immutable infrastructure, you know, deploying fresh stack, running Cypress end-to-end -end tests, and then pointing production DNS. Sweet. Yeah, very cool. Um, the one thing I want to say is, so most people, when they think about sort of adopting Cypress, they think about it as like, oh, this triple equals uh, Selenium. This is like just for end-to-end -end tests. And um, so if you think of like, you know, the testing pyramid, testing triangle, you've got mostly unit tests at the bottom, followed by integration, followed by end-to-end. -end. And with Selenium, you, you will only ever be able to do the tippity-top tier and when Selenium runs, you have no control over the environment. You have no control over the browser. The browser is just going to do exactly what it's programmed to do. And when it makes a request to that server, that server better, better be there, right? But with Cypress, it's, it's actually much, much, much lower. And in fact, while you can do just pure end-to-end -end testing, it's sort of like you're kind of giving up on all the most powerful features. Like, I, I, I really strongly believe that only a fraction, a tiny fraction of your tests should actually be end-to-end -end smoke tests. Like maybe around logging in and maybe like that your website is obviously like up and running and that should be it. Mostly everything else should just be like pure integration tests where um, you're basically controlling the exact data that your application needs. You're never talking to a real database. You're just stubbing out every single request. You're forcing it in that position. And you just, it just solves so many issues if you don't deal with the back end, if you don't deal with like having to seed the database with the exact condition. I mean, just think about like how to, pagination, you know, if you like wanted to truly test pagination, like, or like search results or anything like that, it's, it's just not, it makes no sense. It's not scalable. And so what, what I'm, what I'm, what we'd like to see happen is really just show people how to do that to where they're sort of pushing it down the stack. They're writing less, they're writing tests that don't depend on so many other things. And we really would like to solve the unit testing uh, scene as well. And I, I, when I say solve, it won't really ever solve. Like there's obviously advantages to running unit tests in Node that a browser can never replicate. Like parallelization is nearly, is basically impossible in a browser because there's really only one DOM. There's really only one URL. There's things that you're bound to one of. And even spinning up multiple browsers on the same machine is not the same thing because operating systems have, you know, they understand what application is in focus and that changes the behavior of the browser. So really parallelization can only ever happen at the operating system level, which is what Gleb does with his Docker containers. 
Um, anyway, but I digress. So, but we really would like to also solve the unit tests. Um, it wouldn't be for everything. It wouldn't be for everyone. And it would be slightly less flexible, but that's something like we would also like to do as well. And we've sort of built Cypress with this concept that, um, you know, right now, like it enforces a certain amount of life cycle around your tests. Like it ensures like between tests that things are cleaned up, like that the application is nuked, that like the cookies are nuked, that the local storage is nuked, because really that's what you, that's like how you should be writing your tests, not dependent on one another. But obviously when you're writing unit tests, well, there's no concept of this. And in fact, you might not even render anything to the DOM at all. So, and it's weird, like we've even seen like some projects sort of do like a hybrid approach. Like some people, they build their spec files with their React components rendered directly in a spec file. And then what they do is they end up like rendering just that component to like the application area inside of Cypress. So it's like this weird like hybrid, like it's not quite a unit test, but it's also not just like a pure integration test. You're just taking a tiny slice of your application. So what all I'm saying is what I'd like to see is like that there's so much more power and flexibility that Cypress offers you um, that there's so many different ways to take advantage of it um, where, yeah, it might not be like as raw in raw speed terms as fast as node. And it might not, you know, might not ever, you know, work for projects that that need that but at the same time you know you don't have to use it purely as selenium you can like use it to control more of what's actually happening on the page and write more unit e type tests that's all cool yeah it sounds like a, a pretty powerful tool um and uh something that i'll probably look into i i often when i find cool tools like this i try to think of one of the apps or or um libraries that i've built that i can test it out on um, and I was thinking, oh, I could do it on the JavaScript Air website, but that's like pretty limited. On, in fact, there's like no JavaScript running on JavaScript Air, which is kind of, now that I think about it, it seems wrong. <laughs> but uh, yeah, cool. I, maybe I'll, I'll give it a shot anyway. I'll just like try clicking on a link and making sure it takes me to the right page or something. Because um, yeah, I want to play with this tool. Um, so we're, we're coming down on our time. Is there anything else that uh, we should make sure we bring up before we... Um, Oh, and I actually, I forgot to mention, anybody watching live, if you have questions about Cypress, uh, feel free to ask on Twitter with the hashtag JSR question, and uh, we'll get to those. We don't have any right now, so if you ask, you're very likely to get an answer. Um, but yeah, while we're waiting for those to roll in, um, is there anything else that we should talk about Cypress before we wrap up? I'm sure there's like plenty of stuff we could really get into, <laughs> like really deep, but... Uh, yeah, it sounds like Cypress is pretty awesome, um, and uh, people should go check it out. Um, what actually, what is the best way for people to learn uh, Cypress and getting started um, in Cypress? Yeah, so I mean, it kind of it's not great because we're sort of doing these podcasts, but we're we're in a, like a closed beta right now, so uh, you can't really even get access to it, and that's actually a lot to talk about as well. You know, I think most people are you know, they assume like, uh, you should just like ship early and often and you should just have this out there. Um, I mean, we do have, we have like hundreds of active users where we sort of like handpick these people that are good fits. We have a flood of feedback that comes in, but we also know that there are a lot of things that it's just not ready for and it's not solving super well. And we want, we want to release it when it is like ready to be, to be consumed. Not, not perfect. There's going to be 
plenty of bugs and, and whatnot, but mostly where like there's enough documentation where there's like a clear path to success and you know, that will relieve a lot of the support needs from us. So it's been difficult. It's been difficult balancing that. Like on one part, I'm like, I just want to release and get it out there and start getting community adoption. But we have to, we have to show a path to like, well, how, how would you contribute to this? We, there's a lot of like infrastructure that we have to have in order to like support a lot of, a lot of users using this. So it's been a challenge. But to answer your real question, um, I mean, you can just go to Cypress.io. You can sign up. You can get on our uh, our newsletter which we send updates to we also we have if you sign up for a newsletter you're going to get a link to fill out an early adopter form um, we look at every single one of those and we invite people off of that also um, pro tip if you just come into our getter channel um, we will just invite you basically immediately uh, anyone that comes in that sort of seeks us out is obviously like you know Sort of jumping through hoops to get it, and we unlock anyone that comes into the into the Gitter channel. And that's actually what we prefer. We want people to come in. We don't want you to just use this and either have a good experience and bad experience and go away. You know, we want to talk to you. We will do screen shares. You know, when we diagnose bugs and things like that, like we're looking for sort of early adopter champions that we can have honest conversations with um, as we get closer and closer to open source. Okay, so that's just like the the paid uh, product version, right? Like, I I was under the impression that I could just like npm install Cypress and and start using it today. Is that not that not right? You can, but uh, when you go to log in, it will not enable you to work. But you can look at all the source code; it's all you know uh, compiled into an application. But I mean, that's an artificial limitation, and it's just like. It's just the way that it works today. Like we actually had to do work to, to like restrict you from being able to log into Cypress. Kind of ridiculous, you know. Um, but that's just that's just what we do to basically control the floodgates. Because we've had mm. we've had a lot of submissions, like thousands and thousands of submissions, and so we're pretty sure like when we finally like get this going, we're going to be completely inundated, and we're not going to be able to respond to all of it. And then, you know. People are going to get frustrated, and, and you know, I—it's it, weird. I, you know, I, I, being in this community and seeing a lot of projects sort of come up. Uh, you know, I took a lot of lessons from a lot of different communities that I've been a part of, and I'll—I will say kind of openly that I believe that one of the reasons that Ember never caught on as well as the other projects. I mean, Ember is a phenomenal tool, so comprehensive is because they released too prematurely, too soon, without documentation, and they constantly pivoted, and they constantly made changes. And what happened was is that when you tried Ember in the early days, there was not a clear path to success. You just, it just ended in frustration, or you would, you would build your app in one way, and it would, the, the rug would be pulled underneath you. And I cannot express how immensely complicated it is to write Cypress. Our code base is massive. It's already over 100,000 lines of code. And every single time we make a change, it causes us to do so much work to basically have like a migration path. Like there are so many things that we just do. Like even when we rename a config variable, like we write a migration to where existing projects will automatically like move up into the new way of doing it. Like when we deprecate a feature, we write explicitly like, what you used to write this signature and how you'll now write it in the new end. Like so much of our work goes into just making this like a good experience. And we cannot, we just cannot um, 
possibly manage. Uh, and, it, and the project is just not ready to be open sourced yet. I mean, it's just it's just really that simple. But it will be. It, we're we're a lot closer to it now than we ever have been. Okay, cool. Good to know that I I wasn't aware of that uh, that it wasn't just like usable right now. I'm I'm actually a little bit curious though. Um, so even if I'm not going to be paying for the product, I'm just going to use the open source version. Um, I still have to log into the desktop application. Can you explain it's, why that's it's, necessary? It's, it's a completely artificial restriction, right? Like obviously okay. that 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 when we open source, that's the one of the first things that's going to be immediately ripped out, right? Which is like obviously we're not going to require anyone to have. It's going to be complete. It's going to make sense, right? Um, and then I mean, we will require you to log in only when you're like ready to basically set up the CI part and you want us to record the results. Like we're going to push the login back to only requiring it around the thing that actually le legitimately like requires logging in, right? Like you don't, you know, when you're finally ready to run on CircleCI, you got to like sign up for an account, right? But you write your tests all ahead of time. I mean, that, that's all I mean. There's still lots of, there's just lots of things to, to shift and change about the product to best support the story that we're trying to tell and like the path to success. I mean, we already have some like, 120, 160 pages of documentation, but like we don't have screencasts that show you like how to debug in Cypress. There's so many things that we want to have ready to where like when people start using this, we're just, you know, they can they can be successful on it. They can like see it working and they can understand even just how to contribute, how to like build Cypress, what what the development flow is like. So we're just we're waiting for all those things, but at the same time, you know, we're out there. The users that use us give us a massive amount of feedback, and so we feel pretty good that like we're not like building this in a blind box or whatever. We're we're constantly um, uh, reevaluating what we're doing based on the feedback that that we're getting. So so it's it's tough. It's tough balancing these two things. Cool. Okay, that makes sense. Sweet. Um, so we are down on our time. We do have one question um, from Marcel Barros uh, or Barros. Um, the question is, will Cypress.io support promises and async await? Um, I'm assuming that your answer is going to be yes, transpile first, um, or the browser needs to support promises. Uh, yes. I mean, uh, we support everything that JavaScript supports. We support everything that the browser supports, because it's all executed in the context of the, of the browser. So you can use whatever you want, as long as the browser can execute it. Um, all, our DSL that drives the browser right, everything is a promise. Everything is async. That's a design decision so that everything can be retried and it can be lazily figured out. Um, surprisingly, like when you're using our DSL, there's not a lot of programming that goes into Cypress. Like we've sort of simplified the process to where you don't, your code shouldn't look like gnarly. It should be fairly readable, straightforward, and understandable, even if you've never, you know, seen it before. So, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Maybe. Uh... No, that was a terrible idea. I'm not even going to say it out loud. OK, cool. So <laughs> um, great. That's uh, that's it. So let's go ahead and we'll jump into our tips and picks. Um, so I'll go ahead and go first. And then uh, Gleb and, and Brian, you can um, give your tips and picks. So first, my tip is um, if you're ever going to be using Hangouts on Air, don't forget to set your audio input setting. Um, I totally botched this at uh, Strange Loop. And last week's show, if you're listening to the audio podcast, you're going to get a rerun. If you watch the video, you're going to see why. Um, I totally forgot to set my audio input to be the microphone um, or, or like the microphone interface that I was using. And it was using my MacBook pre like built-in microphone, which was like 
really bad because we were sitting far away and stuff. So I'm really, 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 really sorry about that. I feel so bad, but that's that's my tip. Just don't forget. Um, and then for my picks, I have two. The first is um, one of my favorite talks at the Strange Loop from last week. It's called Idealize Commit Logs, uh, Code Simplification via Program Slicing by Alan Shreve. Um, and this was an amazing talk. Alan Shreve actually is the uh, the guy who built uh, Node or Ngrok, which if you haven't used, you should. It's fantastic. Um, you should look at it. But uh, yeah, program slicing, totally new concept to me. And now I'm building a, a tool in JavaScript to um, add program slicing so that you can understand your, your JavaScript programs better. Um, and it's, yeah, I'm super, super, super excited about it. It's a lot of fun. Um, I, yeah. I, I could talk about it forever, but this isn't a show about that. So then um, my next pick is uh, a tool that I built on the plane on my way to Strange Loop called Split Guide. So at Strange Loop, I gave an ES6 workshop. And uh, one of the cool things about like uh, topical workshops is you can have like a folder and a file for each topic. You're like, OK, here are the tests for this topic. Make these tests pass. And if you do that, then you learned the topic, right? Um, but uh, you want to have a final version for people to reference. And so you have like exercises folder and an exercises final folder. Um, well, the problem there is like maybe you're working in the exercises final and then you go and like copy paste it over to the exercises folder and then remove all the solutions. Um, and that's really tedious to do as you're making updates. And so a split guide basically does that for you. You have a templates folder, you have some special comments in there, and then split guide will generate the exercises and exercises final uh, for you. But that way you can keep things in sync a lot easier. So it's actually really, really cool. And if you've ever given a workshop before, uh, like a topical workshop, um, then this is a, a really fantastic tool to, uh, to help simplify that. So those are my tips and picks. Uh, Gleb, can you give us what you're thinking of? Uh, so I have one tip is that uh, if you use crash reporting or monitoring service for your front-end code, like Track.js or Centrio or Raven, it becomes really, really useful during end-to-end -end tests. Like when Cypress runs, it actually runs as a user or as if it were a user. So anything that goes wrong, that's not visible in a UI that the user probably has not noticed, will probably will become visible in your error exception logs. So it became really, really useful you know, to have crash reporting during end-to-end -end testing. And my pick is only one, and it's kind of you know, similar to, to your can split guide. It's a, a website called katacoda.com. And you go there, and it's a free training where you can do Docker and Kubernetes training online, step by step, for free. And it's amazing because you're actually executing commands. You, you run in a full environment. And there are many, many tutorials and many, many exercises. So it's great for learning Docker. Right? That's fantastic. I, I need to learn that. <laughs> I still have no idea what this Docker thing is all about. <laughs> cool. Uh, Brian? Um, so my one tip, uh, I'm actually super stoked about just the latest GitHub changes that have come around, the, the new projects tab. Now we have like a uh, Kanban or Kanban board, however you pronounce it. We're like going to start using the heck out of this and actually show people what's coming up on our roadmap and they can actually see the progress of all these different issues. I mean, obviously, like we've used external tools like Pivotal Tracker or 
year or whatever, but like the integration into GitHub, because that's where everyone goes to. I mean, it's just really great. I'm super excited and everyone should probably start using this immediately. The only thing I'm a little concerned with is like now we have like milestones and we have projects that should just like ditch milestones altogether and just use projects. But I don't know. We'll see. Um, uh, what, what else? Uh, I would just say uh, Electron, if you haven't checked out Electron, Electron can absolutely change your JavaScript life. It's sort of like the the other leg of it. You know, we've had the server, well, we've had the front end, obviously, we have the server now, and now you can just do completely native desktop applications. That can be a total game changer based on what you're trying to build. I can't express how easy it's been, and without this, like, none of Cypress would really be possible. Um, so uh, check out Electron. Sweet. All right. I've been meaning to do that too. Wow, there's just so much stuff uh, that is awesome in this world. Okay, great. So let's. Uh, I'm going to wrap up with a couple of closing announcements. I want to get a, a special shout out to our silver sponsors. First, React.js program helps you master React and React Native. Find them at react.js.program.com. And Sentry gives you cross-platform crash reporting. So find them at sentry.io. Uh, and then a couple of links for you. If you have suggestions for topics and guests, um, either or, go to jsair.io slash suggest. And then if you have feedback for the show or specific episodes, go to jsair.io slash feedback. And if you want to get on our newsletter uh, we send out weekly about each show, go to jsair.io slash email. Um, and I totally forgot to announce at the beginning, but we do have about web components. Um, so going to be a good thing. I'll, I'll be honest, I'm um, in the skeptical crowd. And so I'm looking forward to chatting with some people who actually know a thing or two about uh, the web components uh, specification. And, and we can actually, or specifications, I guess, um, we can actually talk about um, the benefits and use cases of web components. Um, so yeah, that's it. And that'll be same time, same place next week. Um, yeah, so that's our show. Thanks so much, Brian and Gleb, for coming on. And uh, we'll see you all around the internet. Great. Thanks for having us. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.